We're going to talk about something new and innovative around a pediatrician's vision to care for families and provide an adjunct to the medical home for children's health care in a way that I don't think has been done, mm-hmm. in a way that brings telehealth and education into one trusted brand, one platform, one membership model. Hey, what's up, guys? Spencer Smith here, host of the Self-Funded with Spencer podcast, sponsored by Pareto Health, ClaimDoc, and PlanSight. Enjoy today's episode. Yeah, I would say just on a personal philosophical level, I think it's one of the best, um, you know, in terms of things that I know definitely work, yep. there's, a re- and again, let's go to tangible ROI, check. But it's also the quality of outcomes for literally everybody involved oh, in the transaction. It's, it is high value for everybody. And it's just a different way to spend dollars that are going to spaces that doesn't get the same value. Yeah. Oh, and then everybody feels good about it, too. Oh, and it doesn't have to go through insurance as no. well. Oh, well I, I am so... The, and I love, you know, watching some of your old stuff and the people you're around and wanting to be disruptive when it comes to insurance payments. Mm-hmm. I am so growing in my space, the antithesis of corporate health care and insurance payments when it d- comes to delivering health care. And, and being very sensitive, those who actually are paying for health care yep. costs, it's the employer, yep. period. And the end consumers should be really the physician, taking care of the physicians who take care of the patient and take care of the patients and the employees. So. Yeah, we're on. We're, we're aligned there for sure. Oh, all dude, right. that's why moving this conversation forward, whatever makes sense for your all's world and mine, that's my f- mindset where I'm going the rest of my career. I love it, man. Well, that's a great. It's a great way to kick out the podcast. I assume we're ready to go, right, Nathaniel? Yeah. All, right. all right. So I'm here with Josh. It's Honaker, right? Is how you yes, say. Sir. It? Okay, I want to get it right. Josh Honaker, who is the CEO of Parent MD. How you, how you doing, Josh? Hey, fine. Thanks for having me. Well, good. Good to have you down from Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville. Right? Oh yeah, man. So oh, I Louisville. Did, Louisville. I, I don't it. know the right way. I'm in Texas, and I'm not sure if our accent. Say it a lot of different align ways. It yeah. properly, but I appreciate you coming down. Very excited uh, to talk about this. Haven't covered anything like this, uh, and I think it was Scott who planted the Scott seed Diamond. in my mind that you you powered Symposium in Miami uh, about a year or so ago, yeah. um, and we've been trying to get this booked ever since. So glad glad we're finally here and get to do it, man. So so welcome, Josh. Oh, glad to be here. Appreciate the invitation. My pleasure. So let's get to know you first before we go into what Parent MD is. But will you at least plant the seed of what we're about to talk about for the sure. first hour before we go into your bio? Sure. We're going to talk about something new and innovative around a pediatrician's vision. Boom. We're going to make that a clip, Nathan, right there. That was just per- perfectly done, uh, right. Josh. Well, I, I presume you've told the story many a times, but that times. was that was very good. So uh, let's get let's get to know you first, man. I've had sure. an uh, opportunity to get to know you over the last hour or so for coffee, but want to give the audience a chance to do the same. So tell us a little bit of your, uh, your backstory, man. Yeah. Well, I always kind of start, I'm a pediatrician by trade. That's my identity. Um, so I'm from South Central Kentucky in Bowling Green, home of the Corvette, right down the road from Mammoth Cave, longest cave system in the world. Um, so grew up inside of Bowling Green, but just outside in a little bit of rural Kentucky and in a, a farming community. And um, so grew up there, went to Western for undergrad, where I met my wife. So Hilltoppers, Big Red, if you don't know what the Big Red don't, um, I don't. mascot is, you'll have to look it up. Okay. Um, went there for Pre-med, did biology and chemistry as my undergrad uh, focus majors, and then went to University of Louisville School of Medicine in 1994. Did medical school there, um, decided to go into pediatrics, um, did my pediatric training at Coaster Children's Hospital then from 98 to 2001. And at the end of my training, I had to decide what I was going to do mm-hmm. and decide to go into pediatrics, general yeah, pediatrics. I was going to ask you that quite. Yep. I think we talked about it over coffee, but might as well address it again. Sure. When it comes down to selecting a specialty as a physician or a, in med school, how do you go about finding out pediatrics was, was your thing? Yeah. Well, I think a lot of physicians happen to find their thing and some don't. Okay. <laughs> um, and some change and pivot. And I think there's a lot of variables. But for me, it was probably a story similar to many um, doctors that – you go into spaces based on your mentors, things that fit your personality, the personality type of the doctors. You know, there's a surgeon mentality. There's a pediatrician mentality. There's a primary care. There's a hospital. There's different mentalities of how you practice your bedside manner. Kids fit well with me. I had a phenomenal first mentor, Dr. Denise Bratcher. I just loved her approach. And I was like, I want to be like her. 
That's okay. the kind of doctor I want to be like. So I'd say mentor is big. Also, pediatrics tended to fit me. I'm very much about the family. I like kids. And um, and my wife and I just had our firstborn um, when I was right around the time of my uh, first pediatric rotation. He's 26 now. Yeah. So 26 cool. years ago. So that was the time. And then the next year, I, I vetted by taking some pediatric rotations and said, yeah, this is um, my thing. This, these are my people. Well, as I say, it's, it's probably one of those specialties. And I think most physicians get into that career path, or I suspect, uh, because they want to help people, right? That's kind of that right. overarching mission. Right. But then when you apply that down to the level, level of children, right, and taking mm -hmm. care of kids early on, obviously, that as they're developing and all those things, I mean, I, I don't think it would be difficult to get up in the morning and feel like you're, you're doing good in the world. Now, what, what was reality like, though? Like, obviously, when you went out, I think you said you were in private practice for the first eight years of your career. So, so yes. tell me a bit about that. Yeah. So uh, I interviewed a number of great places during residency, as we all do, trying to decide what to do after our pediatric training. Um, I decided I wanted to start my own practice. I come from a very entrepreneurial family, so I spent my last year and a half of, of um, training deciding where and how to set up. So I found a property, set it up with a partner, and graduated July 1, August 15th. We opened the doors, zero patients. Okay. Um, it was Oldham County Pediatrics. Eight years later, we had nine doctors full. So it was a success story. I think one of the still premier practices in the city. Um, while I was there, I, I did a number of leadership roles, just got tapped on the shoulder, to be honest. I wasn't looking to ever leave private practice and not see patients every day, but I was invited to be the chief medical officer of the local hospital one day a week. I was invited to do um, be the assistant residency program director back at the medical school for training of young residents. And they had me oversee the business side of medicine, private practice, and child advocacy because okay. I was also the president of the state pediatric society at that time. So I had these other administrative education and leadership roles that I got pulled into. And then did and, you like the academic side? Oh, yeah, I loved it. I okay. loved the concept of training the next generation, impacting um, pediatricians on a different level. Had a lot of residents and students with me in my office. So that's where I got my passion. Then I was invited to be the chief of uh, general pediatrics at the medical school, um, eight years in private practice. So I left what I didn't think I would ever leave because yeah. I was totally happy and fulfilled. But I felt there's a higher calling to go lead on a different level. So I had about 60 general pediatricians in that division for two years and um, did that role. And then Norton Healthcare, which also had the Children's Hospital. I just finished being president of the medical staff of the Children's Hospital. Mm -hmm. And in that interaction, they were in a place of looking for a physician executive to oversee their burgeoning medical group of about 400 providers at Norton Healthcare in Louisville which um, took care of about half the city of Louisville. It's a pr pretty big group. What did you like being able to influence at that scale, right? Because that's different than a one-to-one -one patient interaction or with a family, right? So yeah. it's a different role, but maybe a broader base level of influence. So did you enjoy that? Yeah. I, I think for physicians, your identity and you come in learning one patient at a time with the bedside manner, and mm -hmm. that's how you practice medicine. Mm -hmm. And you really don't know anything else than that, short of today, doctors learn a lot about a lot of different roles. That was all I knew. So then to start looking through the, at the world through a different lens that maybe I could impact more people on a population health yeah. or by leadership or policy or advocacy or education, those are all kind of new to me and they came about by accident. But yeah, that really intrigued me. I love the concept of just from efficiency and economies of scale, doing a few things that can impact a lot of patients, a lot of doctors. That was very fulfilling. But I miss not seeing one patient at a time. Yeah, yeah. And so I only had eight years at the bedside. And, and short of when I was in med school, two days a week, I saw patients with med students residents. But I was quickly getting pulled in the other direction. Then when I came to Norton Healthcare as the VP medical director of the medical group, um, I stopped seeing patients because my boss and Norton Healthcare said, we've got too much here for you as an executive to right, do. Right. So I got my MBA while I was there, and then I was there for 10 years. Well, as I say, I, I can relate at least to what you're describing now. I think I shared this with you over coffee as well. You know, in my current role, I'm not selling one-to-one -to, -one to consultants anymore. Right. And so that's a new experience for me, whereas perhaps my role at this point, and something my colleague Sean Wood refers to as the one-to-many conversation. Mm -hmm. So rather than having those one-on-ones, my job is to have the one-to-many in group right. settings and influence through conversations like this. So part of me misses a little bit of that, hey, go and sure. make a sale. The other part of me goes, hey, maybe that's not your role anymore. And so embrace this new idea of leadership and these broad-based conversations that I'm 
I'm having rather than the one-to-one. So just connecting with you with that uh, when you went through that phase of your career. So how long were you doing that? And I know there's a couple, (laughs) you are an entrepreneur, so I know you stood up a couple things in between then, but tell me about transitioning sort of out of that leadership and that CMO role and et cetera. So when I came to Norton Healthcare, um, again, when we started, it was about 400 providers in the medical group. And my role progressed to be the chief medical administrative officer. And by the time I left there two and a half years ago, um, my role had lit, I was over about 1,700 providers, mostly doctors and a number of APPs. So overall things, clinical quality, um, compliance, compensation, contracting, physician leadership development, uh, a, a medley of a lot of roles that fit me well because I like a lot of different things. And um, so got to be a part of that growth and development. And then over my last couple of years, I had a real itch, though, getting ready to turn 50. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've been in, I've, I've embraced change to my career. Obviously, you can learn that from my story. I had the itch to be on my own again, to be a serial entrepreneur, to um, grow a couple new businesses we'll talk about. But I just had a desire to um, have a little more freedom and flexibility. Mm-hmm. I saw the corporate world. That's not the corporate world. But I cannot emphasize enough where I was at, it was as good as it gets in the corporate world. Yeah. Norton Healthcare is phenomenal from a brand, mission, patient-centric, physician, uh, supportive, and uh, friendly. And I had a lot of resources and a lot of flexibility to do things mm-hmm. there. I just had an itch to do more in the last phase of my career. I mean, I totally get it, right? And you have these, you, you know, we were talking about influencers earlier. You have these folks that really sort of showcase how amazing being an entrepreneur is and suggest that everybody should be an entrepreneur. When the reality is, is it takes a very rare breed to truly right. be an entrepreneur. And a lot of people can thrive within the framework of working for somebody else or be an entrepreneur inside yep. of an organization. But I get the itch, right? I totally yep. understand. And so you felt, I've got to scratch this itch completely, right? right. Um, what was it about, you mentioned freedom, but was was it the variability of what you do? Like, what was it that really attracted you to be an entrepreneur fully? Yeah. Pareto Health is the manager of the largest employee benefits group captive in the United States. And it's also now the main sponsor of the Self-Funded with Spencer podcast. I chose to partner with Pareto Health for three main reasons. Number one, their dedication to improving the world of health benefits. Number two, their mission to reduce volatility and to make self-funding simple for mid-sized employers. And number three, the strength and scale of their program. With over 2,300 member groups and more than $1 billion of stop-loss premium under management, Pareto Health is the most robust solution of its kind in the country, period. Stay tuned for more information because I'm sure I'll be featuring them on an episode of the podcast very soon. Visit Pareto Health at ParetoHealth.com or follow them on LinkedIn to stay up to date on the latest news and developments. I like the word variability used. I think I, I, we were talking earlier. I love my days being different. Mm-hmm. I love working on, um, might be working on a real estate venture in healthcare this hour. Next one, thinking about technology. Mm-hmm. This one, thinking about partnering with brokers and insurance and self-insured employers on how to bring mm-hmm. value to them in different ways. Or just hearing other doctors' ideas in the entrepreneur world. So the corporate saying of the healthcare, your task there was to be a fiscal um, healthcare executive steward around the resources they had to improve the care of the community. I loved it. A lot of variability, a lot of resources. But I knew them my own. I could kind of create my own agenda, be a part of an owner of different entities, be a fractional physician executive leader for mm-hmm. a number of entities, do consulting, and bring all my experiences as an MD, MBA with that background and bring value, but also own a piece of a few pieces of companies and start some other companies, mm-hmm. which just excited me to put all my energy into gr- I love growing things. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I was kind of getting probably a selfish part of my career. I want to grow some of my own things, yeah, my own I totally ideas. get that, yeah. One, do you, do you like the early stage development too? Because uh, some entrepreneurs will yeah. want to buy businesses yeah. that already exist and grow, yeah. and some of them want to start them, right? Yeah. But then some of them also go, I started them, I got them here, and now I'm out. I want to go yeah. do something new again. So where, where do you fit in that spectrum of entrepreneur, you think? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I maybe I never even thought it about it in the way you just phrased it. I would guess I'm most energized in the early brainstorming startup phase, even though that could be the hardest lift, the most frustrating. You go past the excitement, the honeymoon phase, and then get there and do the work. But if I have a vision of where I want to go and I got the right people, resources, business plan, and it's a good concept, that energizes me and I'll go through that wall or climb that mountain. 
And then to see the fruits of the labor and things start to come together when it's so hard and you could easily stop and fail many times, I kind of thrive on that. Yeah, it's yeah. like um, causing pain when you don't. When others are like, why would I choose that pain? I kind of, but I love seeing the results of well, growth the, that and development. Is growth, right? Yeah, you, you I said love that. It. Yeah, the growth. Uh, well, so I know we're going to spend most of our time in the rest of the middle, at least here on Parrot MD. But you right. do have this other business, Honaker Health, that I think you stood right. up first, correct? Or, or I they stood up in parallel. Okay. Yeah. So what does Honaker Health do, though? I want to give yeah. you some time yeah. to talk about that. Well, I, I knew I needed a brand for myself. Obviously, Honaker, the surname, my, my last name. It um, rings well, too. Honaker Health. I it, like that. It, man. it goes yeah. well. And I think we got a pretty cool logo with it, too. But it was really... It, the vision was just to have a, a brand in a place as I owned pieces and parts of companies or started companies or did consulting or prov- provided fractional medical executive leadership roles that it would come under that entity. And that was kind of the brand. So um, it, that's been an evolving, growing mm-hmm. um, activity. So have some leadership roles, have some consulting roles, have some ownership and some different entities, kind of been everything I want it to be. So it's really early in the process. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, we were, we were uh, I guess, discussing this earlier too, the, the topic of capacity, right? Yeah. Every human being has a certain amount of capacity, <clears throat> no matter how efficient and hardworking you are. So are you sort of testing the waters to see what your capacity <laughs> may be? Are you trying to find the breaking point uh, yeah. possibly? Uh, I would say yes and yes and yes. Um, And I will go and highlight that my best coaches are my two sons who are 26, 23, and my wife of 30 years. Um, They know my limits. They know I often push it. And often I spend a lot of plates but drop a few plates. So I'd like to think through the years maturity and wisdom, Uh I'm learning how to prioritize better optimize my time, focus. But as we talked about earlier, the one part of the biggest things I've learned is I can spin a lot of plates, but I can only do is I have a lot of the right people around me. Yep. So I do know and realize from the book Traction years ago that I'm, I'm really a CEO, visionary mindset kind of person. If you can have that, me in that space, I can do quite well with a lot. But if I don't have the right ops mm-hmm. and resources and people around me, I start dropping plates and I don't do as well. And I'll often take on too many things. So that's, that's been a bit of growth for me the last three years is knowing where to prioritize. Parent MD is my baby. That's the number one. Mm-hmm. And then everything else I do is along the way as I stand up Parent MD in parallel. So create revenue for my family to live on in this entrepreneurial space. But I've definitely had to learn how to balance and prioritize. And I often have taken on too many things, but I think you know, definitely last year has been about learning to focus and prioritize because if you can't get traction, you can't stand things up and, and do things well, you're wasting your time and yeah. wasting other people. So well, it's yeah, been a it's leverage of your time, leverage yeah. over your time, right? It so really you, you do a good job of sort of finding the people to operationalize the business. Yeah. So you're not, yeah, kind of the bottleneck, um, exactly. which I think some, some entrepreneurs will want to create businesses where are solely sort of about them. And they're the most oh, important yeah. thing in that organization. And yeah. that, that limits the ceiling of what can be accomplished if you want to be that bottleneck. It sounds like you don't have that desire necessarily and you're no. willing to surround yourself no, with great I, people. I'm as actually well. energized by not just growth and development, but actually by growing teams, getting right the people right people around me and um, and leveraging my time and leadership to support them. Actually that's what energizes me. So mm-hmm. but I don't go into ventures unless I know I got the right teams and resources and people because I know I won't likely be as successful. I'm not the person who wants to do every piece of it and own it. I, I know I'm not the best. And so I, I try to stay in my lane where I can do it best. Right on. Well, so let's ease in now to Parent MD and, and talk right. about that business because I know you said that's your baby, but every every baby has an, an origin story, if you will. So right. I realized it's probably a few years back where this concept, uh, at least in your mind, started to to evolve. So what, what, what was it like? What was the recognition, if you will, of this need that right. ended up becoming Parent MD? I think I always saw the need, the gap, and the opportunity back when I was in private practice, but didn't know what the solution was or how I might play a bigger role until years later. But in my corporate world where I was supporting a lot of physicians, and we had hundreds of pediatricians, generalists, and subspecialists at Norton Healthcare, I saw a common frustration with them and the parents. So despite how great a physician might be and how great parents might be, there's often a disconnect in, as far as access mm-hmm. when it's needed, time with the patient, and everybody left feeling frustrated. The physicians often are making widgets. I hate to say it that way, but it's the truth of the matter. Physicians are limited time slots and cranking patients to make a certain paycheck and for the corporate world. 
they're having to do volume. Mm-hmm. By the very nature of doing volume on a limited time schedule and a limited number of slots, the parents only get excellent access a certain amount of time. And then it's harder to get in. Parents always have more questions. Mm-hmm. The children's health care issues are usually more complex. Oh, and today mental behavioral health has become mm-hmm. a, yep. a big issue. Yep. And that takes time. You can't just fix that with a pill. So all these things require time. Time is the limiting variable. So I felt like education and telehealth were two things that were needed more. And I was seeing parents, the other trend, obviously you know this, uh, as a father of two young ones, you and your wife, parents were going more and more the last year to the Internet and Mm -hmm. looking and searching, trying to find trusted quality information, trusted quality telehealth partners. So I thought as a pediatrician business person, there might be an opportunity to create a brand, ParentMD, Mm -hmm. That could be the one-stop shop membership model to bring telehealth partners that I've vetted and contracted and partnered with. Have a couple studios of my own where we create content. I bring experts from around the country and work with fellow pediatricians, what they think parents need to know more of. Mm-hmm. And we bring that all in one f- platform, one membership model, one-stop shop, trusted, and parents can get it and have a peace of mind and improve access and, and be an adjunct be a partner with the medical home. So this isn't to um, circumvent the medical home. This is very much to be an extension, to be a partnership. And there's a slide I often showing my uh, deck when I give an overview of ParentMD. I believe holistic care today has to be a partnership of the medical home plus the virtual world. Mm-hmm. Well, one of our taglines is that we want to be your virtual children's healthcare partner. Okay. So you got the medical home and you got ParentMD. Okay. Then I think you've got holistic care. So that's it in a nutshell. Well, and so let's let's talk about because I know early on the focus was on direct to consumer, and that sort of evolved to look at the employer sure. chassis as well. But let's let's just talk about the brass tax experience. If I'm a, a mom or a dad that downloads down, it's ParentMD is an app, right? Right? Or or is it it's all web based? Oh, excuse platform. me. Okay, so we are working on an app. Okay. Um, as we talk to do our due diligence of how to proceed. Okay, yeah. so so let's so so web based today. I log in. What are the things that I'm going to this uh, your your site right. for? What am I hoping to get? What's the experience like? Walk me through that. Yeah, great point. When you come to parentmd.com, I always say that we've got three legs to our stool. Okay. And it took me a while to identify what it is we're bringing and what it is. And it's funny how everything falls in groups of three. You mm-hmm. know, The mm-hmm. very first is telehealth. And we'll talk about that more in detail. Second is education. Third is community. Okay. So I hadn't seen where a pediatrician partnered with parents had brought all these together in one trusted place. So telehealth, we have three um, telehealth partners. One is Blueberry Pediatrics, renowned around the country for having great 24-7, board-certified pediatricians, easy access, great care. Oh, and they provide you a digital toolkit. Okay. So they give you a digital otoscope. Um, they give you a, a therm- thermometer and a pulse oximeter. So just to help expedite that. Yeah. That. So, so they mail it to you? or how They that? mail it to okay. you. So you become a premium member with ParentMD and you sign up for Blueberry Pediatrics. They'll mail you this kit, which is normally $100, but with the premium membership, you get it uh, free. Some of the best stories that we've had, Spencer, are parents that say, hey, the common scenario, you've already been through it with your kids, I'm sure, with ear infections. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You're 10 o'clock, high fever, ear pain. Parents are busy going to work the next day. What do you do? Now you know you're going to set an appointment to look at that kid's ear and probably needs antibiotics, but you don't know for sure. And you need to make sure there's nothing else going on, okay? Fever and child in pain. You assume it's an ear infection, but you always worry, is it throat, strep, or is it something else? So when you can have blueberry and get on there in 10, 15 minutes and you put get a video of the ear and you see a pus pocket behind the eardrum and they get to look at the child, take the history and talk to you and like, wow, that is a purulent otitis media, needs an antibiotic. Oh, we can call in the script for you right now. Bam, mm-hmm. diagnose problem, solve the problem. Parents can go to bed with a peace of mind yep. and go into work the next day knowing how to manage that problem. Yep. So that's a classic anecdote and story we tell time and time again. But one thing we learn in medical school is when, uh, with clinical diagnosis. If you take a history from somebody, you can nail the diagnosis 80% of time. If you can look at and or touch the patient, 90% of time you can nail it. And another 100% you can get clarity with more labs and other imaging okay. things. But honestly, that's where telehealth is so powerful. Now is it reassuring and meets the parents where they are with their schedule, middle of night or whatever. But if they can look at on a screen and talk to a doctor, mm-hmm. And the doctor can see the child, and you get history and do some physical exam at the same time visually. 
it's it's so high value and it's such an economic um, user-friendly manner. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned three telehealth. So blueberry yep. is one we yep. just... Blueberry is one. Then anytime pediatrics, they have um, after-hour pediatric okay. nurses. Okay. These two pediatric ER nurses started this on their own a few years ago virtually. So we have the pediatric after-hour nurse um, support. And then there's an entity um, fresh um, out of... Um, out of the COVID world uh, from Atlanta. They're a virtual child life specialist. It's hearts connected. Mm. So it's a group of child life specialists. And this is, again, a new novel piece of what we're bringing and bundling. Yeah, I've that never heard. What, what, what did they you do? Would, you yeah. probably wouldn't know. Okay. Child life specialists tend to live in hospitals. Okay. And they help with end of life, oh. ICU, oncology. And they tend to be there as emotional behavioral support for the child and the parent going through these really tough things parts of life. Wow. Okay. So they're usually been employed. COVID knocked a lot of them out of the hospital hmm. and a group banded together and said, we could do this virtually for pediatricians for general primary care issues because kids have a lot of same needs that might not be hospital based, but imagine death of a, 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 a pet, uh, death of a cranberry. Um, starting first day of school, getting a filling at, um, at their dentist, having a vaccine, all these things that are big to kids and parents, but these virtual child life specialists can come in as our partner with Hearts Connected and give support in a way that I haven't seen general pediatricians do. That's amazing. So we bring board-certified pediatricians, pediatric, pediatric nurses, and child life specialists as our three telehealth partners. And then we have some, soft, sim, some software called Symptom Checker, which is used by a lot of children's hospitals around the country. And, and as parents, you can on your own quickly put in some symptoms and it'll spit out likely diagnoses and a likely management. It's not meant to be the end all be all, just another resource that was done, software created by pediatricians. Very cool. So those are our three telehealth partners along with the symptom checker software. Okay. And so that's that's one leg of the stool though. That's one leg. That's one leg of the stool. It could be we could have that's our a sturdy leg right there. Yeah. I, I told you, that's why I tell folks parent MD could be just any one of these. But that's what I think makes us unique is that we bring it all together so parents don't have to go multiple places to get multiple things. So the next leg of the stool would be education. education. So so education, I know you yeah. said you had a couple studios, which I think is amazing, and kudos yeah. for you for recognizing the power of what content can do. But what does this education look like? So I'm a young right. parent. My, let's say my wife and I have our first kid. He or she's two months old. We just don't know quite know what to do. We have questions. Right. So what does this uh, library of content give me as a new parent? Yeah. PlanSight is a complete game changer in the world of insurance brokering. As a broker, you know how time-consuming and error-prone the traditional RFP process can be. But what if I told you there's a better way? PlanSight is the only end-to-end -end RFP solution on the market made specifically for benefits agencies. It's like having a superpower that gets you an average of eight to 10 hours back per employer renewal per year. And the best part? PlanSight supports all carriers, all funding types, and all group sizes for over 20 different benefits. If you're ready to make your RFP process faster, more efficient, and more profitable, it's time to call PlanSight. Visit PlanSight.com now to book a free demo and discover the future of insurance renewals. I'll highlight the most recent and first one based on new parents, as you kind of mentioned, as the, the scenario here. Um, like we just created something called the Baby Playbook. Okay. Two pediatricians who are also moms, I got them together at the studio and said, hey, let's create videos about conversations about everything we think parents need to know that first year life that we don't think has been done in such a manner by two pediatrician moms mm -hmm. having a conversation. They work together today. One has older children, one has younger children. So great perspective. So we brought them together, created 50 videos, put on this and it's called the baby playbook also put in there what they created was the baby survival guide which has 71 pager pdfs you can download on all the most common problems first year life and it's still growing mm -hmm. and then all kinds of recommendations and resources and everything else that they think you need checklist recommendations on of these things to buy before the baby comes home the list is long questions yeah. asked the first um, visit to the doctor things to pack going to the uh, the hospital things to make sure to be ready to take home. How did home. you source? I mean, this is probably a ton of information. How did you source it all? Hey, when you get pediatricians together who live and breathe this daily, yeah. they can spit it out I like bet. that. Okay. So it was on me to put the team together to hear all that and package it digitally in something called the Baby Playbook. Okay. And hence, we wanted this to be the uh, our vision for the Baby Playbook is that it kind of be like 
when we had kids, um, everybody would buy the What to Expect When Expecting yep, book. I remember that book. And it's still a big book. But we wanted this to be a more modern version with conversations and videos and resources and one that people would buy, gift to one another, gift for themselves. That's, that's just an example. Mm-hmm. That was our most recent because we thought we really need to have a real focus on baby on babies. We we do a podcast, so usually mm-hmm. have one podcast a month. I think I've done 24 podcasts okay. now. Okay. Um, podcasts with physician leaders, others who are relevant to children's health care, things I think parents want need to know. So we have a podcast studio dedicated to that. Um, we have cranked out a lot of video courses um, in the studio where I'll bring in experts from around the country. For example, Richie Gupta from Northwestern Chicago, world-leading expert on pediatric food allergies. And we sit and created a lot of five, ten-minute snippets of everything we thought parents need to know mm-hmm. about food allergies. Stephanie Eakin in Nashville, who's a triple-board psychiatrist, she's a pediatrician, child psychiatrist, adult psychiatrist, and we talked about eating disorders and um, anxiety and depression. Amazing. And um, the list can go on of people, and there's still more people to bring in. That's probably the funnest part for me that is endless, the content we can create and the people that want to contribute and bring all this in one place for parents. So it's going to always be growing and adding content. So we do video courses. We do the podcast, create the baby playbook. Next thing I want to do is a teenager playbook. (laughs) After having, that one's going to be a long one, right? Oh, it, it will. <laughs> and I'll tell you, babies, it's challenging not to take away how hard it is being that new parent. I mean, it, that's yeah. that's hard. Um, after you've been there, done that, though, and your kids, you empty nest, you realize some of the most challenging parts, though, were during the teenage and transition adult years. Mm-hmm. And that's even when everything's great. It's, it's just hard. So I, I think there's information to be shared and learned from not just pediatricians, but other parents. Yeah. So I'm, I'm really excited to do that, but I've got a lot more things to crank. We're going to keep going. The Baby Playbook, with the feedback we've had, that was version one, launched a couple months ago. We're getting back in the studio in a few months. I'm going to bring obstetricians to the table, okay. neonatologists, because what I've heard from folks, why not get maternal health in here at the same time? Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, was, yeah. That's great. Yeah. So again, it goes with one of our taglines, Spencer, which is um, pediatrician-led, parent-guided. Okay. So we're not just doing what we think is pediatricians. We're listening to the parents and pivoting on our approach and the content. So we're still learning, and we just want to be that trusted source for parents. Well, that's amazing. And I'm curious, are you guys releasing any of those, like, you know, bite-sized digestible on, like, social media platforms? Uh, <laughs> Not to get ahead of the card on no, the marketing no. side of that. I'm curious. Yeah, we've if you... done pieces and parts, and, you know, we've been just trying to stand up the brand, the machine, oh, and yeah. crank the content, and um, and really learn before we got too big of a footprint because um, and make sure it's all the way we want. We've had great experience with telehealth. Um, we, I think, create some great educational pieces. And I think we're just now starting to share and dribble drip some of that out for the world to see and um, respond to. We have not done that in a big fashion because our team is small and the resource has been small and trying to learn organically how to approach social media in an effective way, Yeah, yeah. which I think I told you we started on the direct-to-consumer route and found that that lift was much more mm. arduous than I ever thought. So we've pivoted now. How do we think of bigger populations? Hence our conversation yeah. today, working with um, self-insured employers, brokers, and to understand how can we bring something that's of high value for access and quality of care but can decrease cost of care because it's better care yeah. and meets employees where they need to be and which is where employers want you to help them because yeah. they're really paying the cost of care, right? Well, I could not agree more with what you just said. And before we move to that route, because I did yeah. want to shift into that, I think you got one more stool we haven't covered, right? We've you got one leg. One leg of, leg of the stool. One stool, me. three one legs. One stool, three yeah. legs, excuse me, obviously. Um, so what is the last leg? Because I want to make sure we don't, don't skip over that. Yeah, I appreciate it. That's the most neophyte component of our world's community. Okay. And I think community only will grow as we have community, mm-hmm. right? But we've tried to connect parents and crowdsource, get their input, feedback. And I would love the platform in the future to have more chat rooms, more connecting, mm-hmm. more town halls, um, do webinars where parents can um, interface with our, our, our folks. So that one is part of the plan, growing up slowly. But, I mean, we 
we've already had some community component to it, but that's the that that'll come in time. Well, that's I hear some. There's a lot of um, people that do like the uh, coaching, right? They're professional coach, <laughs> and you know, some of yeah. them are probably better than others. But yeah. I have heard some people talk about the fact that they've created Discord, uh, you know, kind of chat rooms, right? And so yep. part a lot of what they discovered is by getting a lot of really smart people in the room that are interested in these subjects, they end up learning, or they end up sure. even getting to pull themselves back from the level of effort they put in because it's almost like a member supported community where answers are coming from other peers, uh, which I, is pretty interesting. I th One of the first lessons I learned in private practice was that moms usually knew what was going on. So you better listen mm -hmm. to them and they can help each other more than I could help them. And they were often helping me figure out things. So parents who are living and breathing it, they, the value of sharing with one another and pediatricians being part of the conversation, I'm really excited where they can go in the future. Obviously, there's a lot already being done in that space. There's not that's not novel for us, but I want to have uh, a bigger presence and community so we can draw and crowdsource and pull things together and have conversations in a way that, uh, again, I've, a lot of this has been led by moms and nurses already, and some pediatricians got in this space and doing it alongside their their practice, but no one that I've seen is. Um, done it from a, um, a physician who's focused on building a business to create these spaces. I'm not distracted by seeing patients. Now, as a result, I'm not as relevant and can't tell you everything that's going on mm -hmm, in there. Mm -hmm. I'm leaning on other pediatricians. I'm leaning on parents to tell me what they want. But taking past experience in a business model to hopefully bring that better, that's that's the goal. Well, the fact, though, that that, that community can be created in an environment where one, it's probably already filled with people that are very interested in the subject because yep. they're participating, they're paying for the platform, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Two, the fact that you connect it to the possibility, oh, I've talked to some other moms, they've experienced this before. This is definitely something I should go to sy symptom checker. This is definitely something yep. I could engage Blueberry on because it's a, it needs to be addressed, right? So there's a connectivity to the other steps in the equation and not just simply a community of people talking. So I think that's why yeah. you could differentiate yourself there. So direct-to-consumer model has evolved. You mentioned self-insured employers, which obviously, uh, you know, applies well here. But how has it changed or how does it change to now have a conversation like this with an employer who has 200 employees rather than a one-to-one -one conversation with a parent? What, what does that look like? What's yeah. that sales process look yeah. like, et cetera? I, I would say that I'm still learning. Okay. Hence, I'm loving the conversation we had earlier. Fair enough, yeah. There's a lot to learn from you and others in this space. Um, as a physician who's been at the bedside and been the corporate setting in academic and private practice and who's been entrepreneur in a lot of spaces, this the space, though, of working with self-insured employers and the insurance brokers and captives is a whole new space. So, one, I would say that I'm learning. What I'm trying to understand is what do um, – I think I have a good finger on the pulse of what pediatricians and parents want and need. I'm trying to understand what employers want and need for their employees mm -hmm. to recruit and retain the best, yep. bring value, enhance care, enhance quality of health care, um, and decrease costs. Since we both know the employers are li are largely the payer of health care today, if it's Absolutely. not the government, and we all pay for the government. So. So trying to understand where they're at, what their needs, well, and what, what solutions what they have. What was it about, though, the going, okay, the direct-to-consumer model, obviously, is labor-intensive. Yeah. It was the original model, and it's still a big part of what you do. Sure. But what was the recognition that, oh, we probably should more for expand this out to employers as well? Yeah. I, I, after talking to a few of my friends in Louisville, I came to understand that employers and insurance brokers were looking for creative solutions to bring to populations of employees in a novel way that would truly not just talk about it, but truly improve quality mm -hmm. of care mm -hmm. and um, be differentiated and would could impact costs bend the cost curve well of course my eyes lit up i'm like I, hey i think i've got something yeah, yeah 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 and this isn't just for kids who are just little adults this is focused children's health care by a pediatrician business person, I get what you're saying. I've owned my own businesses. Yeah, let me come in and listen and help you. So when I started engaging that kind of conversation, I, I, I got interest. I heard employers and the brokers saying, yeah, I, that, that makes sense to me. We've had Teladoc. We've had other telehealth partners. We've tried to do things that help. But we hear from our parents, they need help this, and we don't have anything unique mm -hmm. from a pediatrician perspective. So it sparked a conversation. I think we've created engagement. And I saw that real quickly, I think I could get traction on more 
um, and members of course, then yeah, going yeah. one at a time on direct to consumer, which I'll be honest, has been super hard. And I was naive to how hard that lift increase in education awareness would be of a brand. But with employers, I think I can do it quicker because I could think I can sit there and help them um, tailor solutions to meet mm-hmm. their needs and go in a way that I think they're wanting to go now. I, I think 10 years ago, this wouldn't have probably been an option. But right now, it seems to be a hot topic area for self-insured employers to be looking at such solutions. Well, I think there's a couple things going on. Obviously, when you get to larger cohorts or larger populations, there's scaled pricing, which makes it more palatable. I think the other thing that's probably going on is employers. Most people perceive that their health care is delivered through employers nowadays, right? That's sort of the perception of who is the one providing access to my health insurance. It's my employer. Who's steering it? Who's steering it? Who's steering the options Who's steering it, right? And so there's that paternalistic component to an employer-provided health care, which I think something like $150 or 120 million people access their health insurance through employers. And so I think it's a natural offshoot as these employers are looking to do exactly what you said, which is recruit and retain, provide quality um, uh, solutions and benefits to their employees, but also something tangible that might improve outcomes over time. We we were using the term belly buttons earlier, you know, members on a plan. Well, a large percentage of the population is dependents, is children. And so therefore, if you're doing something to address my kids, I feel that's valuable. Thank you, employer. Mm-hmm. There's also, hey, your kids might cost us a lot of money. Preemie babies are one of the largest claims any self-insured Definitely. or stop-loss carrier is going to pay. So there's also a financial motivation in order to provide an incentive like this. So I think that's why it's a natural conversation that you're evolving into. I um, mean, it's just easier. It's deployable. It's easier to deploy at scale as well because I don't. I don't perceive your – delivery model, the actual system changes that much when it's no. an employer versus an individual, right? No, I think pricing just changes. Yeah, you know, yeah. we, we try to, f- how can we scale this and bring it to a large volume, a large population? Nicely and digitally, we can do that for all reasons you know. You know, I, I appreciate the question. My mind goes a couple of places of why in this space. First of all, it made sense from a business standpoint to scale, I think, easier and be aligned with some others who are aligned with us, mm-hmm. as we just noted. The other thing that I think is valuable, given my different roles in healthcare through the years, moms are the decision makers of healthcare. Mm-hmm. Employers, insurance companies, brokers want to work where they're connected with moms. Well, you can't connect any better with moms than when you're talking about the children's healthcare. Absolutely. And if I can bundle a little bit of that with the maternal healthcare, then I'm taking care of mom and children in a unique way. And then back to this um, spectrum of care, longevity, continuity of care, continuum, cost of healthcare. There, there can be a lot of costs with young kids in spaces of um, chronic disease or the NICUs you mentioned, but largely kids don't cost a whole lot. Mm-hmm. But they're a good investment with a good spend. And, and, and if you have an employer who's thinking long-term and they're thinking about retaining employees for long haul, then you really want to think about costs in healthcare in the long haul, not just right now in the moment, Absolutely. right? Well, let me tell you, we're, in my view, from getting in the corporate world, and as we all know, chronic disease and the older populations – or what is the big burden of healthcare in our community, our society today? And a lot of those things, I wrote a paper a few years ago that looked at how to bend the cost curve and improve quality of life in adults in the chronic disease space. I said we need to start back in kids and preventive and healthcare and mental behavioral health in the in the kids. There are so many vices that adults employ and take on in their life because of gaps in or what we call ACEs, adverse tra- tra- uh, childhood events, um, when kids were little. Mm. That if we invest in kids when they're little, yeah. you're going to get a big cost savings way down too. It's not just an acute. Oh, yeah. But really the biggest savings, you know, keeping folks from in healthy lifestyles, from becoming obese, from taking on smoking, from taking on activities that are harmful to their health and take on all these chronic diseases that cost us a lot, whether it's diabetes, hypertension, COPD, the list is long, or averting cancer, which is impacted by a lot of these things too. So there's a lot of benefits. There's some obvious acute short-term and there's some long-term benefits too. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. And so what role does nutritional advice or what that, that topic in and of itself play inside of parent MD? Is that yeah. something, a subject that's covered? Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah. I would say nutrition has not been a big part of what we've okay. done yet. There are a number of topics that we've tackled and there are many still to come. Um, I would say like in the baby space, we have focused on definitely breastfeeding support, bottle feeding, how Mm -hmm. you pick and all that and the importance. Uh, We have a lot of conversations uh, throughout that have to do with reflection of how important nutrition and averting obesity and exercise are. But 
there is so much more to do on the nutrition piece. Yeah. That's, that's one of our future chapters. I would yeah, say. I would say one of the biggest issues, right, is like depending on the source of your nutritional advice, you obviously get uh, contradictory advice everywhere you look, right? Oh, so definitely. it's so, so hard to parse sometimes. And, you know, that's all obviously weighing in the realm of nutrition. Employers tend to stay out of that yeah. area because it's just, it's just rife with too much liability and concern. Yeah. Um, but important, incredibly important, because when you talk about population health, actual mm-hmm. at scale population health, nutrition's one of the biggest guiding factors uh, oh. of all. Oh, I mean, you know, between exercise, nutrition, stress management, preventive care, getting in for your checkups, which again, all those require time with a provider and parent MD can be an adjunct to help answer questions that you might not have had time with. Another trusted resource to get information. And those are things, honestly, we want to keep listening to the parents and the pediatricians and employers. What do you need? And a conversation we were saying earlier, um, I envision I could see a day where parent MD is partnered with employers mm-hmm. and helping look at the claims data to mm-hmm. understand where the spend is. An mm-hmm. example, let's say there's too many ER emissions from asthma uncontrolled. Well, I mean, we have an asthma video course by one of the best asthma doctors in the country, and I think Parent MD can be a great partner to come along employers to identify education mm-hmm. um, support to help people have healthier lives and not go to the ER and not do things that are an unneeded Well, it's specific spend. to that employer's unique population, and it could drive behavioral change as a result because totally. you targeted the information to them. Based on the data. Yeah. So if we can be targeted in our approach based on claims data and working as a partnership. So I mean, what I'm really getting at is I envision, I think it'd be exciting to have tr- true partnerships everybody working together, but letting data drive it. Mm-hmm. Now, the thing for me as a pediatrician, I know if this employer is having this problem over here, everybody else is too. Mm-hmm. But we can be more targeted as needed and tailored as we see the need. Well, and so before we land the plane and go into the kind of the big picture of healthcare, because you've been yeah. a practicing physician inside of our healthcare system, so I'm sure your perspective will be very, very insightful here. Uh, the, you know, you've, you've got a model that has a couple different tiers that has, you know, certain engagement levels that allow certain access. So if maybe you want to broadly describe those, but then even my question beyond that is the membership model in of itself, you know, kind of talk about the, the concept behind that and why you think that's the best way to deploy it. Yeah, I know that's a great question. My mind goes, into so many different tangents. I'll try to focus this way. I, and I, just so you know, I intend to, I ask complicated. Are you okay with tangents? Yeah, yeah, I love it. Go. I ask hard questions sometimes. But for, for me, I've seen healthcare delivered in so many different models since I started in private practice. And when you're in, when you're in training in med school, you're not taught all these. Today, mm-hmm. they are a lot more. Okay. But I never saw concierge, direct primary care, membership, telehealth. Those were thing, those were words not used when I was in medical school. Yep. Today it's totally different. Oh, and now healthcare has become so disrupted because we've gone from paper charts to electronic charts. Now we transfer data. Now you have employers really think who are on the hook with self being self insured and not just um, working with TPAs in the normal fashion. Now they're like I'm. I'm at full risk. Oh, and everybody's talking about how do we transition from volume to value? How are we population health-minded? All of these have created, I would say, a chaotic, complex mm-hmm. environment. I think healthcare is the most complicated industry out there. But it's also ripe for in- innovation. We all know healthcare is way behind in being innovative compared, compared to aviation and other areas. And, um, you know, we should be the hi- most highly reliable or industry out there when you talk about high reliability. Mm-hmm. Aviation, though, is about the top. Healthcare is down the list, but we want high quality, and to have that, you got to be a highly reliable organization. All that to be, saying, to be said, there's a lot of different models, a lot of different ways to execute and deliver the models. Hence, when we come talking about memberships, mm-hmm. to me, it makes so much sense because it's like, all right, who can, from a business standpoint, go out and source resources, mm-hmm. telehealth partners, education. I mean, me having my own studios, like you're in this studio, and me knowing who the best telehealth partners and bundling in value based on volume and work and being aligned to take care of families together, we can bring value at a lower cost to people in a more effective, efficient manner than the days when I was in private practice and you're calling to make an appointment and not getting in when you want and waiting two hours and then being there for 10 minutes. Doctors frustrated. Oh, and 60% of doctors are burnt out today. That's a whole other conversation the day in a meeting I just came from. So physicians are burnt out. We got antiquated healthcare delivery models. A lot of it's still based on a physical presence of coming to a spot with Parent MD, we get to disrupt some of that with telehealth, information, 
vetting it, bring it one spot, membership, and me being a physician business person, identifying experts, and then being able to broker resources at a more cost-effective manner to bring it in one price. And what I would, I would tell everybody, for $1 a day, no matter how big your family is, for the family, mm-hmm. you get unlimited access to everything I just talked about. And everybody often looks and says, well, how can you do that? Well, one, we're starting with early, lower prices early to get critical mass mm-hmm. for a new company. But we can do it and still be profitable because I brought everything together in an efficient manner in a way that you can work do healthcare today that wasn't done years ago. Right, right. And leveraging, you know, relationships in the digital space. Well, I think even too, just the fact that it is a membership model sort of suggests that it's going to continue to evolve, right? Oh, You're constantly building out constant, these libraries, more right? Content, so, so more content. So it'll always value. stay relevant. Yeah, it'll, more it'll value. Stay, yeah. More value and hopefully adding different ways to interface with the consumer in a way that I don't even foresee today, but the platform and the brand is there to build upon. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, I mean, honestly, I love what you're doing when Scott mentioned this over a cocktail at U-Powered Symposium. I, I certainly leaned in, was intrigued, and I'm glad we got all the way to this point. So anything else we want to cover on Parent MB, MD before we move to kind of healthcare in the future? No, I'll, I'll make sure we leave the yeah, space. Yeah. I, I, I appreciate the question. I was summarized by saying the um, desire is that ParentMD is that trusted brand that parents will think of in the future. That's their one-stop partner, knowing it's led by pediatricians, guided by parents. And right now, we're just in the beginning of this journey. We're yeah. offering a lot. There's more to come. Yeah, awesome, and I, I love that. So I, I do want to get your unique perspective on on our healthcare system, right? Um, I think this can go a number of different ways, but I'm always curious sure. to ask uh, ask nearly everybody that sits on this couch, what do you think the future of healthcare looks like? Obviously, you're betting on a certain aspect of the future of healthcare to look like what PARAMD is doing. Right, right. But broadly speaking, the United States, our healthcare system as it is today, where are we going? ClaimDoc is a medical claim auditing and member advocacy company. We provide fiduciary services to employer-sponsored benefit plans, allowing them to create an environment where we ensure that the benefit plans are being charged in a fair and reasonable basis. My business is basically people, and it become a real simple transition. We thought it was going to be far more complex. I've saved, we'll say, hundreds of thousands of dollars. I could not say enough about ClaimDoc. Well, we know, let me say a little bit of landscape. We know that 20% of the GDP is healthcare. Is it up to 20? Wow. It's 20%. I remember when it was 15%, 20%. So we've got that. We're in a very disruptive phase in the last 15, 20 years with EHR, role of payers, employers, patients, access and own care. COVID totally disrupted. It Mm -hmm. made telehealth more apparent, made patients taking Patients decided, oh, I need a COVID test. Didn't have to go get approval from the doctor. Mm-hmm. They just got it, got right? It, yep. So patients started interfacing. Oh, retail care has become even more. You know, now you're getting care at CVS and Walgreens in a way you never would mm-hmm. have before. Um, patients are ordering their own medicines. Just And then, oh, the biggest conversation. I was at Nashville Healthcare Sessions last week and just came from Colorado Springs in a board meeting. And what was the topic there? AI, AI, AI. Yep. So AI has been around for quite a while into clinical decision making. It's now coming into how we can help the populations make better decisions and insert AI in a way that we haven't thought about. So everybody acts like it's new. It's not totally new, but it's going to be embraced more in the future. So technology is coming. Again, I'm going to go back to what I said earlier. Healthcare is still very antiquated from operations, processes, technology, the digital space. So we've got a lot of learning to do from other industries. Mm-hmm. I think you're going to see the next few years be very exciting and start pulling a lot of people together in ways that they were not aligned. They've always been aligned, but they weren't working together well. I think you're going to see technology coming there. I think patients and consumers are going to be more and more empowered mm-hmm. by the Internet. I think they're going to take control of more. I think we as healthcare providers are going to have to come along and be more consumer-centric. Oh, we've got to be really mindful of our partners out there who are paying uh, the bill for healthcare, and that's the employers. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited about the space, and that's why I was so excited to come have this conversation with you. So I think employers are going to have a bigger – they can't just sit here and keep being told, oh, and premiums are going up 7 8% a year yep. on average, right? J.P. Bartlett was telling me that last week with Legacy. And, you know, the average is 7 8%. That's unsustainable. 
And that's why everybody's excited. If you can just flatten that curve and not have an increase, so, um, we actually needed to go back because we can't keep spending like this. And we oh, and we can't keep getting the results that we're getting for the country, the United States, compared to other countries Absolutely. in the world when our mortality, morbidity, and our healthcare outcomes are not matching the spend. So that disconnect cannot continue. The other trends you're going to continue seeing is physicians being employed more and more. Now, some are leaving some of the corporate and breaking back out some of the subspecialists and having their own ambulatory surgery centers, a lot of specialists. But primary care, for the most part, is going to keep being employed by large conglomerates. You're also going to see another trend, which we're, we were talking about just a little bit earlier, is concierge and direct yeah, primary care. 100% agree. I think employers are going to embrace it, look at that more. Um, pediatricians are the last bastion probably in that, but the adult primary care is really jumping in that space of saying, hey, for a certain fee, the consumer can pay or the employer can pay and have a physician who's protected. They got a limited panel, three, four, five, six hundred mm-hmm. patients, whatever it is, and now you've got guaranteed access, more access, physician less stress, less burned out, and patients are going to now get what they've wanted and longed for for so long and hasn't been able to been delivered in the current model. So I think the model is going through a major paradigm shift. And one more statement I'll make, and then as I know you want other pieces, there's a paper I wrote a few years ago looking at an uh, observation of S-curves in physics. And there's an old pediatrician back in the 1980s who wrote a paper talking about the first S-curve was the sick curve. So the 1900s were always about trying to help people who were sick. Okay. You know, and so we, anesthesia came along, antibiotics, that was our whole focus in healthcare. Well, once we tackle that, then you come into the 2000s. It's about trying to make people well. Mm. So then chronic disease, preventive care mm. become thing. He highlights paper that where these two S-curves transitioned, which was about the early 2000s. And this is the 1980s he wrote this paper. Right. There'd be a massive chaos. But once we got past that chaos, which I think we're getting out, and that's what I wrote a second paper on, okay. we're going to start having this great uptick and great advancements in healthcare because we're going to really start making people healthier for lesser costs and doing it better. So I think the rest of the next 40, 50 years will be this crazy place. And then I wrote a, a next paper and called it the longevity um, curve paper and has said there'd be a, a third S curve and it's all about helping people live longer. Mm-hmm. So we first focus on sickness. Okay. The world we're coming out of now is really how do we get everybody well, better and, and use our resources. Once we conquer that in a few decades from now, we're just going to be focused, how do we get everybody to live longer? But we're right now in a very chaotic period, and I think we're coming out of that. Well, I mean, there's so much, I mean, that's probably one of the best answers I've had to that question just first. Let me say that to you. So thank you for I that. I know it's the right answer. You got me really jazzed and really excited okay. about what you're talking about. I think where we are in that S-curve when you're talking about longevity, what I really believe is we're talking about optimizing human health and optimizing, because we've got yes. yep. hundreds of years yep. of history of nutrition, human performance, healthcare. Now I think we're breaking free of maybe perhaps some of the political and or uh, what is it, financial headwinds that have sort of constrained the conversations we've had or directed kind of population at scale. I think you're seeing with the fragmentation of influencer type folks and people willing to sort of break the mold that information seeping out and all over the place and people are able to access it. So to me, your conversation about longevity also comes to human optimization and really getting to the core truth of how humans thrive. Mm -hmm. I think that's the the bastion we're about to cross. And that's what gets me jazzed. You can tell I'm excited right now because that's the stuff that I love. And that's where I think you go back to, you seen those videos from the 1960s where people are walking around and everybody's fit and healthy and nobody's overweight. (laughs) My hope is it may take us another 20, 30 years to get there, but we might return to that level. Well, I hope so. Cause that's the, I mean, we, we're talking about how we're about to figure it out and where we could go and we should be going based on all we've learned. But if you just walk out in our society and go to any store, any place, mm. you see that we are like in a place really of crisis. Yes, yes. Just looking at inactivity and all the problems that we're talking about. And then you see it in our, our body habits and how people are living, eating, and everything else. But I, I do think there's hope, and I do think education is key. I think telehealth will be a resource. I think all these things will help us get to, I love how you put it, optimizing health. And I think we're in that place where so many people want to optimize. We just got to get everybody aligned on the resources and quit wasting resources, quit burning our doctors, and get our patients what they want, which is time and information 
in a way that actually helps us maybe bend some of these curves. Well, and trusted too. I think you use trust that term is trust. Key. It trusted oh, is big. key, right? And I think people have a general kind of distrust or mistrust in some of the healthcare system, yep. right? Uh, nowadays, and so they're looking to find their own information and their own sources, which they believe are correct, right? Which also opens itself up to the yep. other side, right? And so, what I'm hoping is that you've got kind of this bifurcation that will come back to the middle, and there will be, quote unquote truth um that is accessible to to the masses and so that that's kind of my more diatribe level uh focus but i I appreciate you bringing that up and again i think that was a fantastic way to end this podcast so closing thoughts josh we've talked for an hour or so a couple minutes whatever you want to say the floor is yours man yeah i appreciate it one thanks for having me um that was a fun conversation it's amazing how an hour can go by so quickly in closing i would say that this conversation reflects why i went into what i'm Mm -hmm. doing now Mm -hmm. It's exciting. The opportunities are endless. There's a lot that needs to be done. Children's health care is different than adults health, adult health care, and I think trust and truth is so key. Hence, trust is our first value of our company at ParentMD. We just want to be here as a partner to pediatricians and parents to serve them in a way that they need that's relevant and helps them move forward in the future to raise healthy children and enjoy the experience of parenting. Um, I think there's so much to be done. But this is what fills my cup. Yeah, I like to grow things. I like to build things. I like to do things different. And I want to come along this journey. And, and I'm going to end by saying, that's why I'm so excited to come here and have this conversation because I never thought when I started this that a lot of it might be with employers, self-insured employers and insurance brokers. Mm-hmm. That wasn't the space I yeah. thought I was going. Mm-hmm. I think it's a space that is ripe of opportunity and we can bring value. So to me, that's fun, exciting just to do things differently. So Well, ne- nearly two-thirds of the employees in the United States are in a self-insured health plan. So that gives yeah. you an idea of the total addressable market through there. And I, d- I mean, I love it. Obviously, I'm passionate about this space for a number of different reasons. But I appreciate uh, you, know, you coming on. And obviously, this may be one of many conversations we have, but it's great to get to know you, Josh. And again, thanks for the effort to, to get down here. Yeah, thanks for having me. My pleasure.